When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome back to The Survival Show. I'm producer Ben, of course. Thank you for tuning in to today's Manly Musings with Craig Cottle. Before we get into today's show, I want to personally thank our supporters over on Patreon and over on our new Anchor website. You guys are the grease in our wheels, so we thank you so, so much. We couldn't do this without you. All right, so today we will be diving into a topic that I think, personally really needs to be discussed more and that is preparing your kids for disaster and survival situations all right guys and gals let's get into it right now hey everybody this is craig cottle the director of nature law school and co-host of the survival show podcast coming to you again today from my beloved woods here in central kentucky to discuss our manly musings today. So thanks for joining me. Uh, actually, I'm not in the woods today as much as I am on the porch of the cabin looking out into the woods. This is where I do most of my writing. And I've got a deadline on about, I don't know, five different articles. I uh, did one on how to hide in plain sight, urban and wilderness uh, tracking. Uh, I did a, a really in-depth article on being able to determine canine versus feline tracks. Did an article on feral rod use, how to pick good ones and how to use proper technique. And also did one on the technology of wilderness navigation. So yeah, a lot of stuff. Uh, When I'm writing, I'm really getting into my head, which is worrisome for my wife, but that's okay. Sometimes that's why I come to the porch and get away from her so I don't have to aggravate her. But today... The topic I wanted to go into depth with you on as best I can in a short podcast is to go about discussing how to get your kids involved in disaster readiness and survival training. Uh, We've talked about this briefly on a couple of occasions, but I wanted to give some specifics today. That way we can uh, help you if you have kids. Uh, If you are mentoring kids, you uh, you are the grandfather of children or what have you. If you have any influence over kids, then there's going to be some suggestions for a little bit of everybody here today. So again, thanks for joining me. Before I get started, I thought I'd tell a story. It's one of my favorite stories, and I love sharing stories with kids. Um, Stories are just a way for people to uh, learn some things in maybe a more enriching or maybe a more entertaining method. And so I love sharing stories when I get the opportunity. I don't teach as many of the kids' programs for Nature Reliance School as I used to. My wife does most of those. But uh, this story is helpful for anybody, whether you live in a wilderness environment or an urban environment. So it's the story of the caterpillar turning into a butterfly. You may have heard it before. If you haven't, uh, you'll enjoy it for the first time. And if you've heard it before, you'll probably like my version as well. So uh, the story is about a little boy who was playing outside one day. And as he was playing outside, he came across this caterpillar, and he was just absolutely fascinated by it. So he was very incredibly careful. He picked it up, and he took it home to show his mom, just 
very excited about it. And he really wanted to keep this caterpillar. So he asked his mother. She said, sure, you can keep it as long as you take good care of it. So the little boy, uh, the little boy got a jar from his mother. And he took the jar, placed the caterpillar in it. He also put some, did some study on what the caterpillar liked to eat. So he put some leaves in there that he knew the caterpillar liked. He put a stick in there for the caterpillar to climb on. And he watched and he watched and the caterpillar... Uh, every day to see what was happening with it, brought new food to it, and made sure it had plenty of moisture inside the jar as well, and was just fascinated watching this caterpillar grow. One day, uh, he came home from school and noticed that the caterpillar had climbed up onto the stick and was acting really, really strange. So he told his mom about it, and when he told his mom, she looked at it and she says, oh, don't worry about it, it's creating a cocoon. It's no big deal. And so she basically took an opportunity to explain to her son how the process of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly happened. And, and she used this big word metamorphosis, and he was really interested in all that because, again, he's really fascinated by this caterpillar. So he was really excited to be able to watch all these changes that the caterpillar was going to go through, and he watched it every single day, just, just excitedly waiting for this butterfly to emerge. One day when he was watching, a small little tiny hole appeared at the end of the cocoon and he noticed that the butterfly was struggling incredibly hard to come out the other side. So he was incredibly excited and he just was sitting in amazement watching what was happening and the butterfly was struggling incredibly hard to get out and it looked like it wasn't going to be able to break free. It looked like it was going to die. So what did the boy do? The boy got involved. He went and got a pair of scissors. He didn't tell his mom, but he got a pair of scissors. He went back to where the jar was in his room, and he snipped a very small section of the cocoon at the end so that the hole was bigger and the butterfly was able to come out. And it did exactly that. The butterfly emerged rather quickly. But here's where the surprise came in. When the butterfly emerged, the body of the butterfly was rather large and the wings were rather small. And he watched the butterfly expecting, you know, that the wings were probably just moist or damp or something or wet from being in the cocoon and that they would open up and they would be big, huge butterfly wings and at any moment the butterfly would want to fly. But none of that happened. Basically, the butterfly spent the rest of, of its existence just crawling around and never flying at all. The wings never got any bigger, and the butterfly was basically a caterpillar with some tiny butterfly wings. So he tried to figure out what was going on, and he couldn't come up with a conclusion. So he told his mom what had happened, and she said, I tell you what, let's, let's go down and talk to the science teacher about this. So they went to the science teacher. And the science teacher explained that that particular butterfly, part of the problem was that it was supposed to struggle. It was supposed to have difficulty. It was that struggle that pushed some of the fluid from the body cavity of the caterpillar out into the wings and forced the wings to get larger and bigger and get strong from the struggle of being in the cocoon. So although the boy had the best intentions, he actually caused undue hardship and death eventually to this butterfly because he did not allow it to struggle. So as you might expect, 
That is a metaphor. That's a story for our topic today, and that is how in the world can we help our kids? How do we go about getting them ready for survival, disaster readiness, and what have you? What I want to discuss is, is I'll do this in two parts today. What I'll do is I'll discuss some ideas for just general disaster readiness as a whole and some wilderness survival things I'll, I'll push off to podcast number two in this part two in this. So both of these are going to be based around the idea of there's some things that we can do in pre-event preparations as well as things that we can do just for the general enrichment of our kids to help our kids become wonderful adults someday, but also at the same time to help them be ready for disaster in everyday life. So what prompted me to write these words out and then record this podcast, because basically if you're interested to know, basically what I do is I I write bullet points on my topics when I'm going over a podcast, and I do that for me and David, and I do that for myself, and I'm sure he does the same thing when he does his own podcast. And As I was reading some things this week, I came across this article where these researchers had studied children and actually had studied 900,000 children. That's almost a million kids uh, starting in 1985 all the way up to 2013. And they were looking at the progression of children and seeing all kinds of different information. But one of the things that came out was that children who grow up with basically the lowest level of residential green space, those that were burned, born and <laughs> burned, those that were born in an urban environment and never got a chance to even see green space, were had up to a 55%, that's a big number, up to a 55% higher risk of developing a, a psychiatric disorder. That's pretty, very, very interesting to me. What they also discovered is that many of the kids also had decreased cognitive development if they did not have access to green space. So you can imagine the kid that lives in a high-rise building in you know a large metropolitan city, that's the kid that we're talking about. That's the child that needs to have access to green space. Now the study, I'll have a link to this study down below, but one of the things that uh, I want to make sure that we understand from the study that was pretty important is this didn't mean that they had to go to green space every day. It was just kids that had the ability to look out their window and see a park, how valuable that was to their mental and cognitive development. Very interesting to me. So I know that our manly musings every Thursday tend to focus heavily on wilderness outdoor skills. That's for obvious reasons. That's my wheelhouse. I grew up in a rural environment, so that's where I was born, that's where I was raised, that's where I live now. And so that type of environment is right in my wheelhouse, and I know how to talk and experience it and, and discuss it with people and ask questions about it. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What I wanted to do is discuss some of these ideas from an urban standpoint, too, because the research is very valuable. And as far as disaster readiness, 
let's let's make one thing real clear. I don't pretend to be a parenting consultant. Some of this is going to, is going to sound like parenting advice, and it's not parenting advice as much as it is. I'm just sharing my way of doing things, the things that I did, because some of them worked really well. And I always, with everything that I do and teach, I don't pretend that it is the way to do things. I just offer some suggestions to you, and then you can manipulate and massage this information as the best way you can and apply it to your own life. So one thing that came up with my kids growing up is that my wife had a degree in early childhood education. I mean, it's called something else, and she gets aggravated when I say that, but it's something like, you know, she could teach school kids, you know, and I can't remember the exact title of it. But, and, and so she was very good at saying, this is an indicator of this particular cognitive development, and this, this indicates, you know, you know, little girls always draw horses and all these different things that I shouldn't say always, but oftentimes little girls will draw horses, and this is what that means, and all the things that go along along with all that. And it was very beneficial to have her be able to explain some of this stuff to me. But one of the things that we, without any education at all, just looking at our own children, is that we wanted to, like most parents, not all, but most parents, we wanted the best for our kids. And sometimes that we had to admit some of our wrongdoings and and our errors and choices that we had made and do everything that we could to help our kids have a better situation. I think that's what most parents want for their children. But one of the things that we talked at length about for many, many years is this idea of our children losing their innocence. And I'm not talking about, you know, from a sexual perspective. I'm just talking about children, small children, losing their innocence when they look at the world and they recognize that basically, you know, life is simply not fair. And it's not fair at all. Now, a few times stood out to me and my wife on this is the first was, you know, when my daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Now, you, you take a child. Now, she was 11, so she'd experienced some, obviously, some things that were indicators that life is not fair. But when she turned, when she was 11, she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, which is a disease that will affect her for the rest of her life. And because of that, me and her mother really felt helpless. And, you know, there's just not some, not much that we can do to help someone type 1 diabetes except help manage it as best we can, which obviously we've done. And that is an incredible blow to a young child to not really understand at 11 years old exactly what type 1 diabetes is, but to actually deal with now you got to stick yourself with a needle several times a day and all the things that go along with it. And that, and that you know, obviously caused a considerable amount of a loss of innocence and um, but I can say that due to that struggle, my daughter is one of the toughest individuals I've ever come across in my life. She is incredibly strong in many respects. She obviously has weak points as we all do. And, um, but it's interesting to note, she doesn't allow those weak points to be seen except those that are incredibly close to her. And so, um, she has developed a strength because of a lot of things in her life, but particularly because of this diagnosis. Another one uh, happened with my son, and it, it was an interesting thing because it was directly related to survival. I know my son was, he was probably somewhere around that same age, 10, 11, 12 maybe. And we had gone to a, how do I say this? Uh, I don't want to expose this organization, but we had, we had gone to a gathering of people that were practicing outdoor skills. I'll put it that way. 
and there were several contests and there's a time for contests and there's, you know, it is what it is. But my son said he really wanted to get into this contest and it was a contest among people his age on, uh, they had to build a fire and they had to do it with primitive means and they had to boil water, bring water to a boil. And so all these kids were gathered together and they were going to go about doing it again. Primitive means bring water to a boil. So primitive means primitive to me. It doesn't mean a fair rod. Fair rod is not a primitive means of uh, ignition for fire building. And so, you know, we were thinking flint steel or bow drill and, uh, you know, something in, in flint steel might not even fall in the category of, of, uh, primitive but nevertheless so anyway we asked the judges hey primitive can he do flint steel sure that's primitive so bam it starts contest starts and we notice oh also we were told that no adult could assist the kid which means i had to be hands off i could not help my son now i'd helped him a lot before that point but what happened was that he did everything on his own. He made a flint steel fire. He had some char cloth. He had flint. He had steel. He had a fire going, built a tender bundle, had the fire going, built it. And as we looked across the field, we could see that one of the kids of one of the instructors of this organization um, was getting, number one, he had 10 other instructors around him who were help, adult instructors that were helping the kid. And he was using, uh, he was using a ferro rod with the back of his knife to start the fire, which in my mind is not even close to being primitive skills, but you know, definitely one of those times where my son had to deal with, Hey, life is not fair. Now he, my son basically had a struggle getting the fire. Uh, he had no problem getting the fire going, but he had a struggle getting the water bottle boiled. And he, there were some things that I definitely could have helped him on, but I was hands off so he could learn a lesson. Whereas I saw the other, the other kid was getting a lot of help, like do this, don't do this, don't do that. I mean, they were breaking all the rules just so this one kid could win. And so, yeah, my son got a really heavy dose of, of, uh, life is not fair. And we all do that from time to time, right? The reason I bring those subjects up is because you, as I'm telling you those stories, probably have instances where you've seen your children struggle like that, where they've lost some of their innocence when they were younger. And maybe when they're adults, you know, we all, I mean, I got burned. I got burned really hard as an adult with a mentor of mine. I even hate saying that word about him now because he's in my mind, not a mentor of anyone and he's evil, but I, I, I was betrayed. My trust was betrayed as a, as an adult and it really bothered me. It really hurt me and it still affects me to a degree, but with that said, we all experience these times where we, where our trust is betrayed or we lose innocence. And these are all times of struggle that, in my mind, are very important. So as far as disaster and suburban situations, urban situations, one of the things that we've got to do is we've got to limit our children's exposure to new sources in a disaster event, let's say that you're in a coastal area and there's a hurricane coming. If you've constantly got the TV on or you're constantly listening to some sort of podcast or radio or whatever, and there have continuous discussion of all the bad things that are going to happen with a hurricane, kids don't know how to filter that out. They're just overwhelmed with bad information. And so that is something that I think we need to correct when it comes to urban survival situations. 
So very, very difficult for young eyes and ears to continually have to be weeding out. You know, and I know that news is over sensationalized at this point. And so there's just so much information and you and I know how to weed some of that out and can tell, Hey, they're just saying the same thing over and over or Hey, they, that doesn't seem like it's based in fact, that's some sort of uh, subjective opinion or some variation of it, but kids don't know how to do that very well. And so we've got to limit their exposure. And so as we prepare our kids uh, for disaster readiness or survival, whatever it might be, then we've got to allow them to struggle with their struggles and teach them at the end of those what they could, could have done better to improve their situation. For example, you know, the situation with my son, um, I basically taught him what he did well with the fire. I also explained to him what he could have done um, better with the fire at the same time. We also discussed the things that he screwed up on. <laughs> you know, he, he had a bottle sitting way up above the flame. He could have put the bottle down in the flame, any number of things. But it's just don't let the things that are being done incorrectly fester and ignore them. It's easy for us as the human species to ignore difficult things that want to force us to change, but we need to recognize them and help our children in particular so that when stressful times come, we know how to better help them. So I'm going to stop this one there, and what I'm going to come back with on podcast number two is wilderness survival and outdoors activities. I'm actually going to have some games that you can play with your kids in the outdoors, whether it's your kids, kids that you mentor, or you're a school teacher or whatever, and that way you'll have some ways to uh, better prepare those that are around you. Before I do that, though, thanks you to everybody that subscribes to the podcast. Thank you to everyone that's given us those five-star reviews. If you haven't done that, you need to get in on that train because that helps us tremendously. We really appreciate all the support. Uh, check out Anchor. Anchor is where our podcasts are at home now. So you can actually make a donation to the podcast, and that comes directly to David and myself. And that way you can help support what it is that we're doing. And if there's links below, if anything at all interests you, then dive into those links because those links are going to help support the podcast as well. Come back for podcast number two. Don't forget that. But as always, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp. <music>